clinicians of all types can play a role in in helping emphasize the fact that you know we've had you know over half a million Americans die of COVID and, and zero from from vaccine. Have you noticed any interesting insights about you know what might be driving hesitancy and what let's say can doctors and other clinicians do on their one to one interactions? Storytelling matters. Really, personal stories about how you have gotten your own vaccine and it wasn't that bad and you feel safer. I mean, also in our own survey data, patients who are hesitant and we ask, who do you want to hear from? They always say clinicians, clinicians first. They are not looking to hear from politicians. They're not looking to hear from athletes or celebrities. They want to hear from you and me and our colleagues about what we personally think about these vaccines. They trust us. Hi, I'm Dr. Daniel Kraft. Welcome to Healthy Conversations. I'm joined by Dr. Sri Chakaturu. We certainly live in exciting pandemic times. You and your team at CVS have been on the leading edge, particularly uh, now that we've entered the critical stage of vaccinations. And I thought we'd start off with maybe big picture. What are some of the bigger trends that you're seeing for clinicians in terms of COVID-related data and insights in terms of where we are in the pandemic's trajectory? We see this incredibly stunning decline over the last few months since the beginning of the year to now in March when we're having this conversation. Usually you would see some discordance if there was a change in trends with cases heading in a different direction than hospitalizations or death, but we're seeing a concordant decline across all three measures. That's really good. What we see is that there's a change in mobility. We do less so of that in January and February. We're starting to see pockets of uh, immunity, not necessarily that herd immunity that we're all looking for, but those pockets of immunity starts to inhibit community transmission in pockets. The seasonality of coronaviruses, you know, there's a lot of data from other coronaviruses that show that there might be a potential seasonality. And, you know, the major piece that's changed is the introduction of COVID-19 vaccines. You know, I'm really excited to talk about what we're seeing in the vaccines space, but I just thought it would be good for us to talk about and celebrate this decline that we're seeing across all these categories of COVID-19 transmission. Yeah, definitely good news. Uh, you know, it depends on which data we look at and from what part of the country or part of the world. Yes. There's some debate about what can someone do once they're vaccinated or how do they interact with folks who, who aren't. After a patient has been vaccinated, what are those messages? This is constantly evolving. So the CDC has recently put out their guidance that you know, if you are vaccinated or if a patient is vaccinated, how can they interact with other vaccinated individuals or unvaccinated individuals? Or can they go visit uh, their loved ones in skilled nursing facilities? There will be very personalized recommendations that we need to provide to our patients. I think we learn a lot by every conversation that we have with our patients about what works and what doesn't. I think we also learn a lot by talking to our colleagues about what, which ways we message to our patients. You spend time, you know, inpatient at Mass General. You're interacting with pharmacists at your local CVSs. Are there lessons learned? I mean, most people don't go to the CDC website. They get things filtered. So at CVS Health, since the introduction of COVID-19 vaccines, we've been doing ongoing surveying of the population about what is actually of interest to you. If you are hesitant, what are the messages that really are important to you to get you over that hesitancy hump? What we find in our data, in our research, is that people are really interested in the safety and efficacy of the vaccines. 
And so being able to very clearly articulate that these are relatively safe vaccines, uh, we have a very clear understanding of the short-term side effects. We have very little reason to think that there would be any significant long-term side effects. And these are highly efficacious. And talking about the fact that these vaccines are relatively equivalent when it comes to hospitalizations and deaths, it's amazing how much our patients are looking to trusted sources on the internet. So if they see you with your videos online or having conversations, that really goes a long way because they'll share that with their own friends and colleagues. And it's a great way for you as a clinician to amplify your messages as a trusted source. So a lot of different ways that we can tackle this. It's going to take all of these methods in concert to get us to the other side of the pandemic. Uh, there's an infodemic on top of that, good and bad information, who to trust and where to get it. And I've seen even my own primary care practice does a very good job of sending out regular updates. You know, things change, whether it's where and when to get tested, when a vaccine is going to be available, uh, latest uh, guidance, etc. You know, there's new variants identified in UK, South Africa, a couple coming from Brazil. There's where I'm based in California, a new sort of California homegrown variant. How do you and CVS uh, sort of track those? And what do you think the implications are going to be for vaccines efficacy going downstream? Yeah, as we all know, viruses mutate constantly. And so coronaviruses are well known to not mutate as frequently as other uh, viruses. But yet we do have these variants that have arisen. And part of the reason that we're hearing so much about the variants is that we're now doing more genotypic analysis to be able to identify these variants. This has been happening since the beginning of the pandemic. If you look at online resources like nextstrain.org, you can see a lot of the phylogeny trees that show since the beginning there's been these variants that have arisen. Uh, and we're going to continue to hear more about the variants as well because we're investing more as a country in surveillance. What the CDC is going to be doing is partnering up with laboratories to do a subset analysis where they're going to dive deep on uh, genotypic analysis to look at variants and then upload that data to public data sets so that the scientific community can look at what is actually happening with the genetic variants. Now, what are we seeing in terms of the three COVID-19 variants of concern, the VOCs? One from the United Kingdom, one from South Africa, and one from Brazil. And, you know, the way that I think about these variants is basically five questions. Does our current testing work? Do the current treatments work? Is the uh, variant more transmissible? Is there more morbidity and mortality associated with it? And then do the vaccines work? Largely, the testing and treatment seem to work for all of these variants with varying efficacy. What we're seeing is that across the UK and the South Africa variant, they are more transmissible. And then we see that the UK variant is also likely more fatal. Now, that Brazil variant that you mentioned, unclear if it's more transmissible or more fatal, but the major concern is there's a higher risk of reinfection. So what we're seeing on the vaccine efficacy is that in vitro, you're seeing a slightly less antibody response against the variants than you see to wild type or reference strain. Uh, but all of the vaccine-induced immunity is higher than natural immunity. So you have a cushion effect in terms of antibody response. With the UK variant, it looks like all of the vaccines seem to be working pretty well. The Johnson Johnson, the uh, Moderna and Pfizer, but the South Africa variant appears to have some element of escape. 
But Moderna and Pfizer have both very quickly been able to put forth a new uh, valent, a new vaccine construct that could attack the South Africa or protect against the South Africa variant. Now, the question is exactly how would that actually be put forth into the marketplace and how would we as clinicians think about vaccinating in the setting of rising variants? It could be that you need to have a divalent vaccine. You're going to have to have a wild type plus a South African variant and you're giving one, you know, a dose that has both. Or, and that's sort of what Moderna is looking at, like do you give a booster or do you, you know, with just a South African variant or do you do a combined? Pfizer is looking at, well, we see a dose response in antibody response to vaccine. So if one dose gives you X and two doses gives you two X, why not just give three doses? And so they're actually looking at a three dose regimen that could boost your antibody response and potentially protecting you without having to develop the South Africa variant on widespread and give a South Africa boost. It's just using the current vaccine, but a three dose schedule. So, you know, the variants, I think the summary here is that they're of concern but the industry is responding really quickly and we're going to have a better science in the upcoming weeks and months on what to do. As has been discussed by others that in a form of the annual flu vaccine, if variants keep evolving, uh, the mRNA and other vaccine platforms could evolve to give you a new valency, you know, maybe every six months, every year, depending on what the public health measures and testing are showing. Is that an expectation that might be a, a future path where we can end up with an annual COVID booster that addresses new variants? That's right, Dan. I mean, the original participants in these trials with Pfizer and Moderna are being tracked for two years. And so they're going to be on an ongoing basis looking at antibody response in those patients and determining, you know, when do we see antibody response declining? And therefore, that will have implications of when we would need to do a booster. I'm kind of entering into this with the assumption that this is going to be every year or every other year that you would need some sort of booster. The question is, is it a booster every year or every other year, or do you redo the entire schedule so you need to do another two doses? I think by the end of 2021, we'll have a better sense of what that looks like. And now, of course, we've got the new Johnson & Johnson you know, single-dose uh, vaccine. It's sometimes thought to be maybe less effective, but it, again, there have not been head-to-head trials. What's your perspective on the J&J vaccine? I'm so glad you asked about Johnson & Johnson. And if we try to put all of these trials up against each other, it's very difficult to do comparative effectiveness. So Johnson & Johnson, having started the trial later, and also their trial was essentially a third in the U.S., a third in Brazil, in Latin America, and then a third in South Africa. And if we think about where these variants of concern are, the Brazil and the South African variant, they were testing their vaccine where these variants were. Moderna and Pfizer didn't have to contend with that when they were conducting their trial. Johnson & Johnson's overall effectiveness was 66% on moderate to severe, but 100% in preventing hospitalizations and death. So if we think about what we're trying to do, prevent the stress on the healthcare system and prevent people from dying, you know, Johnson & Johnson's trial data shows it's you know, essentially perfect in terms of efficacy on those two measures. So that one dose effectiveness uh, is really a great option. For example, let's say it's a patient who's been hospitalized and you're trying to you know, make sure that they're vaccinated before discharge. And so that might be a great way of using the Johnson & Johnson vaccine 
in a way where you might not have follow-up. In general, I think as clinicians, being able to continuously tell the story that whatever vaccine you can get is the best vaccine for you is really important because our goal is to, as quickly as possible, get as many people vaccinated as possible to prevent community transmission. And having more vaccine choices in more vaccine locations is going to help us get to that goal. There's a multitude of tragic figures in terms of the impact that COVID-19 has had on our country. We have a half a million people who have died from COVID-19, but when we look at the mortality rate by race and ethnicity, what we see is black populations had a 40% higher mortality rate and Latinos had a 20% higher mortality rate than white population. And then when we look at vaccines and vaccine hesitancy, When you start to cut it by race and ethnicity, what you see is that there's higher hesitancy among Blacks and Latinos compared to whites or Asians. And we've seen that in data that CVS Health has done, and we've published two white papers on this that showed uh, hesitancy in November and December, and from uh, November to January. And what we saw was a 10% increase among hesitancy in Blacks and a 5% increase in hesitancy among Latinos in those time periods. Our most recent data, internal data, shows that it's stabilized and softened a little bit, which is really good. And we're starting to build trust across all race and ethnicities. And at a state level, we then look by social vulnerability index at the zip code level to determine which stores that we're going to turn on to provide vaccination services. And we over-index for high vulnerable communities. And so... We also have a workforce that is over 40% people of color. And so as vaccine continues to become more available, we're going to continuously grow our offsite clinics in hard hit neighborhoods, as well as we partnered with Lyft to provide uh, reduced or free transportation. We're a founding member of the Ad Council and the Black Information Network to ensure that our messages about the safety and efficacy are amplified. So Using our stores, extending beyond our stores, education and trust are really important in addressing vaccine hesitancy and health inequities. You need precision messaging and not just medicine to the right population. It has actually lots of roots, everything from the Tuskegee experiments, et cetera, and clinicians of all types can play a role in, in helping emphasize the fact that you know we've had over half a million Americans die of COVID and, and zero from, from vaccine. Have you noticed any interesting insights about you know, what might be driving hesitancy? And let's say, can doctors and other clinicians do on their one-to-one interactions? Storytelling matters. Really personal stories about how you have gotten your own vaccine and it wasn't that bad and you feel safer. Also in our own survey data, patients who are hesitant, and we ask, who do you want to hear from? They always say clinicians, clinicians first. They are not looking to hear from politicians. They're not looking to hear from athletes or celebrities, they want to hear from you and me and our colleagues about what we personally think about these vaccines. They trust us. Just earlier today, I had somebody say, like, it was the conversation that mattered. And it was the personal conversation, not the stuff that they read, but the personal conversation that convinced them to get the vaccine. And that really heartened me. Some clinicians are getting on TikTok or YouTube videos. And again, you can make one specifically for your practice, make it fun and informational uh, and match, you know, your population and meet them in different ways. Uh, You know, my parents who live in the Washington, D.C. Beltway area about a month ago, you know, scrambling to get them on a website and scheduled and finally refreshed enough time to find one appointment. What are some of the lessons you've learned 
There are a lot that we've learned over the course of the past few months, right? We've participated in two major programs. The first is the Federal Pharmacy Partnership for Long-Term Care, where we've partnered with 40,000 skilled nursing facilities and long-term care facilities and have provided over 4 million doses across 70,000 plus clinics that we've done in these 40,000. We're in the tail end of uh, finishing that up. So we learned the logistics, In addition, what we saw was the impact that the vaccines had. Essentially, three weeks after that program started, you see a divergence in the number of cases and hospitalizations and deaths in the general population compared to what you see in skilled nursing facilities. And then with the uh, second program that we're in, which is the Federal Pharmacy Partnership, we've partnered up with the federal government to get uh, vaccines for our retail pharmacies that allows us to do general population vaccinations. That rapid dissemination of knowledge, we actually built a lot of that lessons learned from testing because we were rapidly uh, scaling out testing throughout 2020. Prototype it in one store and move it out to all the other stores. On the vaccine distribution, I think we're halfway through telling that story. I look forward to talking in a future conversation about the lessons learned in vaccine distribution. It was really challenging in the early days in terms of who got how much vaccine. But we're getting to a better spot where people are better able to predict how much demand that they have in any one hospital or clinic or mass vaccination. And then those lessons learned will be really important of how we distribute therapeutics and vaccines in the next pandemic. And we're certainly in encouraging times, you know, competitors like J&J and Merck working together to increase the supply. When I got my Moderna shot, I got my little CDC card and it's written uh, on paper. Where do you see this heading now with the idea of almost a digital yellow card for enabling travel, connecting to your passport, or the fact that you might have tested negative that morning if you're not yet vaccinated? There's platforms like Common Pass, and I think even the Clear platform that works with TSA has elements, but there's almost too many of these platforms. Definitely. I mean, we're only going to see the role of digital and our ability to track our own health using digital platforms grow over time, right? As we think about this return to normalcy, there's going to be a coupling of testing and vaccine data that we will need to furnish for different use cases. You might be going to an event and the event might have people who are vaccinated able to sit closer together than people who might not be vaccinated or tested. Given that there's going to be different use cases, there are going to be different platforms. For those people who are providing vaccination services, we're going to have to be able to play with multiple formats. I really don't think that you're going to see one dominant platform given the multitude of use cases. So at CVS Health, we fully expect if you've gotten your services from us, you have a digital record from CVS Health that shows your vaccination and not just COVID vaccinations, but all of your vaccines that you receive from CVS. The growth in digital and the growth in these credentialing services will only continue. Yeah, I think it's going to help connect the dots to the point, no matter where you got vaccinated, it might show up in your Apple Health Kit or on your Android platform, and you'll have the QR code, which enables you to jump on that plane or enter that event. You still need to take into consideration the sort of digital determinants of health and who has access to the digital versions versus paper, but tremendous opportunities there. It's interesting now, a lot of work has been going on about repurposing, let's say, generic drugs to treat, let's say, early COVID. Is 
CVS Health and with all its sort of data and the ability to look at who's prescribing what, often off-label, maybe not as part of a clinical trial, maybe able to pick up on some markers about other elements that might be effective, whether it might be a patient's vitamin D level and risks to the fact that they might be on a particular uh, neurologic drug that protects them in some way that might help us give us insights for this pandemic or, or future diseases in general. The way to think about CVS Health is that we have three core businesses. We have our health benefits with Aetna, retail with CVS Pharmacy, and our pharmacy benefits manager, CVS Caremark. Each one of them has significant amounts of data. But what we see on the Caremark side, and that's where I am as the medical officer for CVS Caremark, we've seen you know, throughout the pandemic rises and falls and geographic differences it maps up to where you see hotspots. And sometimes what we saw was that the medications were moving sooner than what we saw in the epidemiologic data. The other piece is that we could see increases in prescriptions, which you know we were able to work through to make sure that there wasn't any discontinuity in therapies. For example, Kaletra early on, there were some questions on whether or not Kaletra would have some antiviral effect against COVID. And so we wanted to make sure that patients who have HIV still had access to Kaletra. There's a lot that can be done with this data that we haven't used in these ways before, but can help us in this pandemic and in future. In a sense, some of the silver lining of this horrible last year is that it's accelerating things. You know, Sputnik was a catalyst for the space age and COVID is a bit of a, a catalyst for a health age. And a lot of the new collaborations, new forms of getting vaccines developed, new forms of understanding how better to deploy therapies, vaccines, public health efforts, testing, tracing, isolation to PPE are all going to hopefully uh, give us benefits across many disease paradigms. Well, if we think about how did we respond so quickly to SARS-CoV-2 is because of the lessons that we had from MERS and SARS-CoV-1. So I think you're spot on. I mean, the lessons that we learned from here, even if they don't get applied to SARS-CoV-2, there will be another reason for us to apply the lessons learned on testing platforms, therapeutics, vaccines to a future pandemic. So I'm right there with you. My friend, Dr. Larry Brilliant, who helped eradicate smallpox, uh, often frames uh, COVID-19 as a, as a practice pandemic, meaning it, it, the fatality rate is relatively low, and there have certainly been others that, if they get out there in the next generation, could be much worse. But now we're all sensitized as individuals, as communities, to PP. How do you collaborate with the competitors, the Walgreens and others of the world, maybe in sharing vaccines when one is short in one location or another? Have there been some interesting, surprising collaborations or learnings that have come uh, even from competitors? We have been in constant contact with our colleagues across the healthcare spectrum. For example, long-term care facilities. And Walgreens was the other major pharmaceutical chain that was uh, identified by the federal government to provide vaccinations in LTCs. And we worked together to figure out what does that actual day of clinic look like? I mean, it was all in our best interest to make sure that we got vaccines to the site. We got vaccines to the site safely. We made sure that we used them efficiently, that patients got the right consent forms, and that we were able to bring back any excess doses and use them appropriately. And as you've said earlier, it takes a village for us to get through this. And uh, it's been great to have colleagues across the country to work with. It's an interesting opportunity. I certainly collaborated with folks I would have never met through the pandemic, and it's helped catalyze a lot of conversations as well as hopefully uh, impact. But given your experience, we both trained at Mass General, where sometimes things take a long time to shift. And what might be your vision for where healthcare might be in 10 years, informed by the pandemic and some of your other related work? I think we're going to see an explosion of new platforms for diagnostics. 
especially in the point of care space, right? And then how does that couple with digital? And I think we're just going to see more and more mRNA platforms and therapeutics moving forward, not only vaccines, but in other areas as well. One of my favorite quotes from Bill Gates is we tend to overestimate what will happen in a year, underestimate what will happen in a decade. And I think the next decade will make the last 10 years look slow. And I really feel optimistic about what the rest of 2021 has for us. So I just want to thank all of you uh, who have been listening for all that you're doing and getting us to the other side of the pandemic. Great. Well, thank you so much, Sri, uh, for all the work you're doing, all your colleagues at CVS uh, Health and Caremark. Uh, it's certainly a team sport, a lot of innovation, a lot of collaboration globally. And again, we're all in this together. And let's keep these healthy conversations going, because as you mentioned, it's often those one-to-one communications between a provider and a patient or their family members that really help change perceptions. <laughs>